So biggest pet peeve, you have one. There, I was kind of thinking about this. This maybe isn't my biggest one, but it's definitely one. There's a magic phrase that you've likely heard, you've likely thought, you've likely said. It's a phrase that permeates, actually, how we think about ourselves, how we think about each other, how we think about stuff. It's a famous phrase that we probably have all used. And when I worked at a grocery store, I heard it almost every day as a weapon of mass destruction, really. This is the phrase. Have you ever said this? Have you ever heard this? Have you ever interacted with this phrase before? The customer is always right. The customer is always right. Nope. That's not true at all, right? That's my problem with the phrase because it's not even remotely true. So, so if we were to fix it, it would be the customer is not always right in any way, shape, or form. That's just not true. I used to work in a grocery store, and one of the jobs I had was managing the deli area. And as a part of managing the deli area, that was a there was fried chicken was a big part of what we did. Now, people interact with fried chicken in all sorts of different ways. They kind of would get an eight-piece and pick it up for their family, or you know, they would have this huge order, like 500 pieces of fried chicken, 1,000 pieces of fried chicken, and that is a lot of fried chicken. And I remember working one Friday... And it was almost the end of my you know, time working, and I was just ready to go home. You ever been there? And a woman came up to the deli counter and asked if her fried chicken order was ready, and that's normal. So I asked for her name, and like I went and looked for it, and there was no chicken order ready under that name. So I went and I told her, hey, we don't have that order, you know, and I don't think that I am exaggerating when I said she lost her mind. Like she went nuts. She started to stomp on the f- you know, floor, throwing a little hissy fit. She started to yell at me. She started to yell at the other people behind the deli counter. She started to yell at the people who were ordering food at the deli counter. They didn't have anything to do with it. They, she actually picked up her phone. She called her husband and she started to yell at him about my incompetence. Like this was not a very fun thing. Now, when she finally like took a breath, I asked her some more information. I said, hey, okay, 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 okay. Like, what is, you know, what's your name? Oh, you you prepaid for your order. Okay, that's good. She wanted to talk to my manager because she's going to have me fired. Like, she probably isn't very much fun at parties. I don't know. But the more information that I got, the more certain I was that the customer was not right. So I went back, and there's this big wall that we had of... You know, fried chicken orders, you know, Monday, all those orders, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way through the week. So I'm looking through all of it and I find it and, and the order was not for Friday, but for Saturday. So I grabbed kind of the order and I grabbed her receipt and I took it out for her and I said, is this for Saturday? And she looked at me with such disgust, such disdain. And she said, it is Saturday. And I said, no. It's Friday. And she looked at me, she turned around on her heel, and she said, it better be ready tomorrow. (laughs) And that's why I know the customer's not always right. But but here's the thing. We act like, we go through life acting like we're always right. Like, we're acting like, hey, in any scenario, in any way, hey, we're, we're right. Husbands and wives know this, right? Like they're elbowing each other. Like you're not right. I'm not right. But it's true. Seriously, you aren't as right as you think you are. It's really uplifting today, isn't it? 
Now, this doesn't mean that you're never right, and this doesn't mean that everyone else is wrong all the time. This means that at times we go through life and we act like we're right, and we act like everybody else is wrong, or that we're right and we're glad that we're not the one who's wrong, or that we're right and the people who think like us and look like us and act like us are right, but everybody else is wrong. And when we come into contact with somebody who isn't our version of right, like us, we, get, we actually get pretty upset. We get really angry. We get really frustrated. Now, we're in a series that we're calling Untriggered. And we've been talking about how at times we get been out of shape in our life. We get a little annoyed, a little angry, a little bitter, a little offended, a little frustrated. And at times that little bit of anger just grows inside of us. And it really starts to take control of things. And we just get angry. And we're angry with school sometimes, with family, with work. We're outraged at a political decision maybe, or the integrity of a political candidate. We're exasperated with what our kids are being taught in school, or we're offended by a social media comment, or we're indignant about what that person did or didn't say to me at church. And the holidays are coming up, right? And this is the week of Thanksgiving, so heads up for all the people who don't know that. And the holidays and being together sometimes brings out I don't know, like rage. It brings out these triggers in our lives, you know, like you're talking to Uncle Doug and he starts spouting off about the State of the Union, your eye starts twitching, you know, those types of situations. Your mom starts making comments about how you never call, you never write, your blood pressure starts to rise, you know, somebody took the last leftovers and you're just ticked and you've had about enough and you find yourself in a moment. This happens a lot in holidays. You find yourself in this moment and you're like, you're wrong. I'm right. You need to sit there in your wrongness and know how wrong you are. And I need to be right. And you need to understand that everybody else is wrong and I'm right. You ever been there in a situation like that? Isn't it exhausting being right all the time? You've heard that phrase before? It's, it, it's kind of funny. It's a little, little joke, but I think it's true. It is exhausting trying to be right all the time. And it's also, by and by, impossible to be right all the time. And we get frustrated and angry and exasperated with these other people being wrong and not meeting maybe holiday expectations. So what do we do? When we're in a little bit of this you know, ebb and flow, I'm right, you're wrong dilemma, what do we do? Now, Jesus tells a story And it's a doozy of a story. And it really addresses this head on. It's in Luke 18. So if you have your Ridge app or your Bible app or your Bible with you, you can kind of follow along. The verses will be up here too. In just six little verses, he really addresses this whole being right and being wrong thing. So this is Luke chapter 18, starting in verse nine. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Okay, let's stop right there. We haven't even started the story yet. We're already stopping, okay? I think this is important because of who Jesus is addressing. Who's he talking to? People who had great confidence in their own righteousness. Now, we don't go around saying that, do we? We don't go around saying, I have great confidence in my own righteousness. That sounds like somebody from like medieval times, like it's not a thing that we say. But we do say things like, I'm right and you're wrong. 
And we do sometimes act like we're right, even in the eyes of God, which is kind of what righteousness means. And sometimes we do walk around and we think, hey, I'm right about who to vote for. I'm right about what to do. I'm right about my money and your money. I'm right about family. I'm right about all of those things. And sometimes that leads to, like this is saying, scorning everyone else. I love that word, scorn. What a great word. It's exhausting being right all the time. And Jesus is talking to people who think themselves right. And then he tells this story, verse 10. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. So a Pharisee is a religious teacher, a a religious leader, and a tax collector. Jesus described him as despised. And this is the setup. Jesus is saying, okay, there's someone you think is good and there's someone that you think is bad. So think of a group of people that is despised. I don't know what comes to mind. Somebody who's despised, like Patriots fans, you know, something like that. Okay, let's, let's dig a little deeper. You know, real group of people who, who are despised today, outcast today, maybe murderers, maybe child molesters, maybe neo-Nazis. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about people that you're like, ah, I'm cool if you stay over there. I'm not inviting you over for dinner. I'm not interacting with you at all. So he, he puts up these two people, and that, that kind of puts this into perspective. So one Pharisee, obviously good and righteous and right, and one who's definitely not the tax collector. And the tax collector would have literally stolen money from neighbors and friends because of how their tax law was set up. And verse 11, so the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. And at first glance, I think we, we immediately go to like, this isn't such a great guy. Like, I mean, he's like immediately talking about this other tax collector. That's weird. But also this is important. A lot of what the Pharisees said is true. Like he, he, maybe he's not cheating people. Now he, he was a sinner, of course, because we all sin, but, but he's not an adulterer. And he maybe didn't steal from other people like the tax collector did. And he does fast twice a week which is double the amount that they were called to do, and he gives a tenth of his income. It was kind of factual, this prayer. And maybe it would have sounded something like this. God, I thank you so much of all of the things that you have given me. And I thank you so much that I am a good steward of those things. And I thank you so much that I have done a good job in my life and in my family, and I'm not like those people who don't do a good job, you know, like, I'm so thankful for that. I'm a good person, and I go to church. Thank you, God. That's a little prideful, right? Now, why is pride such a big deal? From a spiritual point of view, pride means we're trusting our own abilities rather than trusting God. So are you an always right person? If you don't know, ask someone. They know if you think that you're always right or not. But if you're an always right person, this should give you pause because sometimes when we think that we're always right, we actually need God to guide us and we need God to provide and we act like we don't. Pride tricks us into thinking we're in control 
and that our control is what's best. I'm going to say that again. Pride tricks us into thinking that we're in control and that us being in control is actually what's best for us. But it's not. And another problem with pride is we start, if we think ourselves always right, treating other people with contempt, scorning them, right? That's what it says. Perhaps disrespecting them instead of seeing them the way that God sees them. Created by and loved by God. See, pride leads to anger. Maybe it it triggers us like this Pharisee prayed. Thank you, God, that I'm not like them. And if we're honest, I think we think things like that. Thank God I have my life together more than them. Thank God I have a better marriage, that I'm not in that situation, that I have a better job. Thank God I have more well-behaved kids or more financial security. Thank God I go to church and that my life is right instead of like their life, not like them. How dare they not have it figured out? How dare they not know what to do? How dare they treat their family like that? How dare they? And it becomes this us and them. It's not right. And here's the thing. Maybe it's not right. But Jesus continues this story in verse 13 with the tax collector. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And I tell you this, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. Wait a minute. The tax collector, the guy that Jesus describes as despised, goes home justified. You know another word for for the word justified, worthy. Another word, maybe righteous. Right in God's eyes. Does that mean that everything that the tax collector does is right? No, it doesn't. But in this story, these two prayers, one person was full of pride and the other full of humility. And in case we miss it, Jesus kind of gives us the punchline. I love it when he does that. He's like, okay, okay, I'm going to tell you what this means. And he, and he, and he does right here. This is it. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, or Pharisee, and those who humble themselves will be exalted, tax collector. Those who exalt themselves, lift themselves up. Those who think themselves right all the time, those who have pride will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted or honored by God. So the tax collector, even though maybe he's not living his life in the way that God would hope that he would live, has a humble heart. He's honored by God because of his heart. His heart is in the right place. Now this is a compare and contrast story. Remember like middle school and compare and contrast stuff? It's pretty simple. Two characters, one is expected to be good, the other is expected to be bad, and then it's turned upside down to make a point. And that a humble heart is a vital part of our spiritual lives. That's the point. So let's break it down a little bit. Compare and contrast style. We're going to talk a little bit about these two things and what they sound like and look like in our lives. So we're going to talk about what pride sounds like. We're going to talk about what humility sounds like. Okay, okay, here's, here's pride. Pride says, I am right. I'm right. I know what I'm talking about. That's the first thing. Pride says, I am right. Humility says, 
I need a savior. Now, and I want to point something out. We think that humility should say, I'm wrong. That's the opposite, right? But no, humility is not necessarily the opposite of pride. It's better than pride. And pride says, I'm right. Humility says, I need a savior. Isn't it fascinating? The Pharisee is right. That's fascinating to me. The Pharisee does a lot of the right things. Do you think that way? You do the right things and you're good. Be right and then you're good. And even if you're righter than most people, in the case of the Pharisee, even in some of his rightness, he wasn't loving, he wasn't kind. He was boastful. He was prideful. And that's part of the point that Jesus is making. The tax collector knew who he was. The tax collector knew that he needed a Savior. He needed mercy. Now, who are you drawn to more in your life? The person who is always right or the person who is humble? It'll tell you a lot about yourself on who you're drawn to. But here's my guess. People aren't drawn to Jesus because his followers are always right. Our moral superiority does very little, actually. It's important to live in a way that honors God. It's incredibly important, actually. But our pride or a holier-than-thou type attitude does the exact opposite of what we intend. Because pride sounds like, I'm right, you're wrong. But humility sounds like, I need a savior. Here's, Here's the other thing. Pride says, I'm morally superior to you. But humility says, I'm forgiven. And if you're right, that does not mean that God loves you more or that you're better. That's the snare, I think, of pride. Because even if we're right, we need to remember that if we follow Jesus, we're forgiven for where we fall short because we're not right all of the time. We all fall short. And the tax collector remembered who he was. He remembered that he needed mercy. The Pharisee didn't. We can remember we're forgiven for where we fall short. Maybe not our moral superiority. And I don't know, maybe you're there thinking, you're like, Adam, I'm pretty awesome. I can get that. You are. But if you want to talk about moral superiority, Jesus was the only one who was morally superior. Jesus was the only one who never sinned. He was the only one who was perfectly and utterly right. And even though he was right, he went to parties where sinners were in attendance. And even though he was right, a prostitute put perfume on his feet And even though he was right, he spent a day with Zacchaeus, who was another tax collector who stole from people. Why did the people who were sinners of the world in Jesus' day want to be around Jesus? Well, it's because of what pride sounds like and what humility sounds like. Because pride sounds like I'm morally superior or I am judging you. And humility sounds like I am loving you. Pride says, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm morally superior, I'm better, and I'm judging you for not being better. So remember, remember who Jesus is talking to? What point is he making? To the people who think themselves always right, what's he saying? Hey, Pharisee who thinks you're always right, tax collector, the disgrace, went home justified. Not you, not the person who was right. I don't know about you, but that's sobering to me. That if we follow Jesus, because all too often we fall on the side of the Pharisee and thinking about rightness all the time, and truth is important, that's not what I'm saying. It's not saying that it doesn't matter. 
But we care more about being right sometimes than we care about being loving. Here's an example. Several years ago, when I was the connections pastor here at the Ridge, this is, this is a little while ago, I had a volunteer flake on an event and she was supposed to show up and she just ghosted, right? She wasn't there at all. We had communicated clearly. I had went and checked the receipts to make sure that we had communicated clearly and she just didn't show it up. No call, no email, nothing. And the event kept going, but it made it a lot harder for other volunteers. It made it a lot harder on me. And I have to be honest with you, I was, I was pretty upset about it. I was pretty frustrated and the next Sunday she came up to me at church and I assumed it was to apologize for her not showing up, but that's not what happened. She didn't even give an excuse. She actually got mad at me. She said, you didn't communicate well enough. This is your fault. This is all on you. And I wish that I could tell you that I graciously responded. And I wish I could tell you that I responded with love rather than judgment. And I wish that I could tell you that she still goes to this church, but none of those are true. And it's because of me. I was harsh, I was clear, but I was harsh. And I told her that it wasn't okay, and I disagreed, and here's the thing, here's the thing. I was right. I was 100% right. But I wasn't loving. And I regret it. See, we'll rarely help somebody by judging their shortcomings. We might help them if we love them and point them towards the person who forgives sins. And proud people don't tend to love other people well because pride leads to judgment and judgment leads to anger. So pride sounds like this. I'm right, I'm morally superior, I'm judging you and I am angry, I am frustrated, I am annoyed because you're not living up to the standard that I have. But humility says I need a savior, I'm forgiven, I'm loving you. And because of these things, because I see who I am and I see who you are and I see who God is, I am joyful because I'm not bothered by the fact that you're wrong. So over the next couple of weeks, you know, in the holiday Hustle and bustle. One of the reasons I love Christmas is I love saying hustle and bustle. Love it. Now you'll count how many times I say it over the, and it's probably a lot, but as you gather with your family, as you interact in the holidays, as you deal with these strains that come with schedule and expectations, I think you have a choice. We have a choice, right? We can choose to be humble or we can choose to be prideful. We can choose to say, hey, even though I might think that you're wrong and I'm right, I remember who I am, I remember who you are, and I'm going to process through that rather than I'm going to get upset, I'm going to get angry because you aren't doing what I want you to do. You can choose to be prideful. You can choose to be humble. So that's the big takeaway. It's not anything fancy. It's not to be right all the time, turns out. This is what I believe the, the point is. It is be humble. That's the point. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Like no problem, right? This is one of those things that we say we even want to do, but we just don't know how to do it. We don't know how to live it out. And I want, I want to point something out. This is important. Humility does not mean that you're wrong all the time. Humility does not mean that you're a terrible person or thinking less of yourself. That's not humility. Humility is not forgetting who you are. I think f- humility is seeing yourself for the way God sees you. 
So I want to give two simple ways for us to be humble. Here's the first one. Be humble by remembering who you are. See, the Pharisee was mostly right about a few things, but he forgot who he was, mainly that he was created and he was loved by God and he needed God's mercy. He needed God's grace. He was in need of a Savior. And there are areas in your life that you are correct, that you are right. But there are also areas in all of our lives where we're not right. And humility can only start when you accurately see yourself so do you struggle with pride? Do you think yourself maybe, I, okay, uh, maybe there's some of this in me. If, if you're like, okay, maybe I think I'm right all the time. Here's some fun homework. Identify one thing a day where you aren't right. And if you really want to have some fun, tell somebody about it. We're all wrong somewhere. We're all right somewhere. And so we need to accurately see that. But it's also not just the way that we view ourselves. It's the way that God sees you. And some people struggle with pride in the usual way, kind of being right. But some people think themselves just completely unworthy of God's love. And that's not who you are either. See, you are loved by God. You are created by God. And you do fall short sometimes, and you do sin, and you do make mistakes, and you don't honor God with everything you do. But even if you're right sometimes, Jesus didn't really call us to be right. He called us to be loving and humble. And we are incredibly loved by God. So much so that he sent Jesus So remember who you are. You are a person with faults and flaws, but you're also a person who is loved by God and in need of a Savior. And your behavior matters and the way you interact with other people matters and your humility matters and your pride matters. And here's the second thing when it comes to being humble. We we can also be humble by celebrating what Jesus has done. We're all in need of the same thing that the Pharisee and the tax collector needed. We're all in need of a Savior. But we've all been offered the perfect Savior. So out of love, out of love, Jesus came and Jesus stood in our place. And I want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss, miss this. Jesus was right when we could not be right. And Jesus was righteous when we fall short, because we sin and he did not. And still, he climbed up on the cross willingly because of his love for us. That's humility. And he was murdered, by the way. But he conquered death anyway. And we celebrate what he's done for us on the cross. And we need it. You and I, we need it. But not only do we need it, but he's given it to us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. We remember we're in need of a Savior and we celebrate the fact that He showed up. So be humble by remembering who you are and the way God sees you. And then we're going to try to be humble by celebrating what Jesus has done throughout history and in our lives. To kind of drive this home, I'd like for you to to close your eyes for me. Kind of close your eyes. We're going to talk a little bit about this image I think that might help us. So imagine this. You walk into a huge throne room and the king is dressed magnificently in reds and in purples 
and in gold. And to your left in this throne room, there are great marble pillars. And to your right, there's gold glittering all around. And above you is this ceiling that is just masterfully crafted and painted. And each step that you take closer to the throne echoes in this huge room. And you're intimidated as you walk up to these steps that lead to the ornate, beautiful throne that the king is sitting on. And you know that you have done some things that don't honor the king. You have said things, you've done things, you've acted in a way that don't honor him. And you reach the bottom step and you stand and you look up. How do you feel? See, that's a feeling of humility. The king of kings and you. And you remember who you are. But then the king of kings gets down and walks down the steps and asks you to sit down there on that bottom step. And he sits down there with you and he asks you how you're doing. He knows you by name. He gives you a big hug and he's in tears because he's so glad that you're there and that you're okay. And he grabs you by the hand and he lifts you up and he walks behind the throne where there's this beautiful breakfast table and he decides that he's going to make you the best breakfast that you've ever had. And you talk and you laugh and you spend time together. See, that's a different experience, but it's humbling in a different way. See, the king, the king of kings, in his love and in his kindness, he humbles you because of who he is. And he loves you anyway. Be humble by remembering who you are, but also by celebrating what Jesus has done. You can go ahead and open your eyes. Now, one way that we celebrate what Jesus has done is something that we call communion. Now, communion is a time for us to remember what Jesus has done on the cross, to reflect on what that means to us in our lives, and to respond by thanking God and praising God for what he's done. Jesus knows what it means to be truly humble. This is Philippians 2, 5 through 8. I love these verses. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He didn't have to be right. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He was right. And he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. See, Jesus is that embodiment of humility. He was the perfect right. And Jesus on the cross is that ultimate act. And when we take communion, we remember who we really are. We're in need of that Savior, but we also remember who He is. And we celebrate what He has done. So if you're here in in person, there in the seat backs in front of you, there under that front row, there, there are some little packages of communion. Now, if you're online, I'd encourage you to go right now. Go get some bread or a cracker or some juice and participate in this really important thing with us. So go ahead and take that cracker out. See, this cracker, it represents something. It represents Jesus' body being broken for us on the cross because of who we are, but also because of who God is. So right now, take the cracker to remember. And this juice, this juice represents 
represents his blood shed for us. This is real. I believe this really happened, that Jesus died on the cross, but then he was carried to a tomb and he rose again, conquering death because we're in need of a savior and he stepped into our place. So right now, take the juice to remember and to celebrate what Jesus has done. So this week, the challenge is to be humble, to remember who we are accurately, the way God sees us, right and wrong. And we're going to be humble by remembering who Jesus is and what he's done and the way that he provides for us every single day. I'd like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, talking about humility is something that it's kind of one of those concepts that's just really, really hard to live out. Over and over and over again, we kind of just come back to pride, come back to thinking that we're right, coming back to treating other people like we're right. Help us to be humble. Help us to be humble because of who you are, that we're perfectly loved, we're guided, that even when we're wrong, that we are loved by you, and that being right and being wrong maybe isn't as much of the point as it is to love you with our whole heart and soul and mind and strength and to love each other in the way that you love us. I'm grateful for that reminder that Jesus is our Savior and we need, we need a Savior. And that's not a one-time thing, that's a rest of our life thing, that's an eternal thing. So help us live that out this week, to be a people of humility, not pride to be a people of joy, not anger. We love you, and it's because of Jesus that we pray today. Amen.